Let's open our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1 for an opening verse of Scripture as we take up our study of the attributes of God again. I have broken the attributes of God into four categories. The inherent attributes of God that are part of His Godhead that make Him God. Things like omnipotence and omnipresence, His infinity, His independence, His eternal nature, His invisibility, His immortality. We then had a category called the declarative attributes in which He reveals Himself. God has traits of His nature in which He wants to reveal Himself to creatures. Then we come to this third category that we're in at the present time, which theologians in the past have called the communicable attributes of God, meaning that they can be communicated to men, which I've also called transferable attributes because he's able to transfer them to men, or participatory attributes because men may participate in them. And so I bring you to Second Peter chapter 1 for a verse of Scripture showing us that there is a participatory aspect to the nature of God. It says in verse 3, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature." having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That fourth verse in the middle tells us that we might be partakers of the divine nature. We are not Mormons in that we believe that we are little gods and we're going to have our own planet someday. But we are the sons of God, and there's a part of God's nature that we partake of. We don't partake of His omnipresence. We don't partake of His omnipotence. We don't partake of His independence, but we can partake of His truth, His wisdom, His faithfulness, and His patience and long-suffering, which we are going to consider today. Amen. These are the, the fourth category of attributes, is the relational attributes, and how God actually relates to us individually and personally in a more personal, intimate way than even these participatory or communicable attributes. The first one we want to consider this morning is truth. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3 and the fourth verse where we can find the text of Scripture that gave us the name for our website. Romans chapter 3 and verse 4. We want to deal with the fact that the Lord Jehovah, the only true God, our God and our Father is the true God and is a God of perfect truth of perfect fact and of perfect reality, unlike all the other gods of the heathen, which you have already heard this morning. Romans chapter 3 and verse 4 says, God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. That is where we stand. We'll let every man be a liar because every man is a liar, including the man speaking at this moment. In and of himself, he's a liar. His heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. It is God's Word that can give us perfect knowledge by the inspiration of the Almighty. But God is true, and let us let God be true. And that means we acknowledge that God is true. 
We have had people write us over the years asking, why in the world would we name our website Let God Be True? Because they write back in their ignorance, God is true. And when I say they write back in their ignorance, they forget that Romans chapter 3 and verse 4 says these words. Let God be true. God is true, but we should acknowledge Him as true. We should submit to Him as truth. And we should have great confidence in Him and everything that He has said and committed Himself to do because He is true. When Jesus said to Pilate that He had come into this world to bear witness of the truth, Pilate answered like any good college-educated person, what is truth? What is truth? Because if you get enough education, you won't believe there is any. But there is absolute truth. And God is the beginning of absolute truth because He is absolutely true. His nature is absolute truth about what a God should be. In the infinite sense of the definition of what God is, God is true. Everything God has said is true. God has revealed truth to us, and He expects us to be true and honest in all of our dealings with others. As I started this morning, I want to repeat to you again. The worst possible life is to believe, live, promote, trust, and die in a lie. Isn't that a horrible thought? To be born, and the first things you are taught are lies. And then as you learn more about what your nation or culture or religion believes, it's more lies. And as you get older, you begin spreading those lies to others. As you become a father, you teach those lies to your children. As you become aware of your mortality, you put your trust in those lies for your preservation from death or an afterlife that's part of the lies of your religion. And so with your last breath, you're still trusting in these lies that have been given to you about a God that is a lie. And then you wake up one nanosecond later and you meet the Lord Jehovah. And it's, it's the case of the vast majority of mankind. And you are privileged this day because the true and living God has made a choice to call you out of this world and to reveal himself to you and to give you his true word. Amen. We are blessed abundantly. Can you find that little book of Jonah? In your Bibles, I directed you there yesterday in the preparatory email for the preaching today. If you can find the little book of Jonah, I can't resist using Jonah chapter 2 and verse 8 again in, in the matter of the truthfulness of God. The Lord Jehovah our God and our Father is true, and everything He has said is true, and everything He has written is true, and there is absolute truth, and it's at your fingertips. We can know the absolute truth on everything necessary to know. Right. Whatever God has reserved from us that He'll reveal to us later, if He'll reveal it to us at all, we don't need to live a perfectly true and honest life in this world. Jonah chapter 2, Jonah is recounting his deliverance from the belly of the whale. And he's praying for God to have mercy upon him. And he says this short sentence. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. They that observe lying vanities are people with false gods. 
Those are worshipers of the heathen or pagan sort that have false gods. They observe lying vanities. They look at a totem pole or they read the Vishnus of the Hindu religion and they observe the customs and traditions of these false religions, which the Bible calls lying vanities. A vanity is a profitless, wasteful pursuit of a thing. It's emptiness. It's nothing. It's foolish. It's profitless. And a lying vanity just is almost a redundance in expression of saying that it's really ridiculous to trust in a totem pole or to trust in the moon god of the Arabians like the Muslims do or to trust in the great spirit like the American Indians did. And so they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy because the only mercy that is available to us in this life and the next life is from the Lord Jehovah, the true God. And by following a false God, you forsake the only mercy that you have a chance for in the universe because of the true and living God. What a text. I love Jonah 2.8. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Their religion is so stupid that the only possibility of mercy for them in this world or the next is through the living God that they forsake to follow lying vanities. And we would be doing it with them if it wasn't for the grace of God. And what is His greatness and His grace in this matter? Jesus would say, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, I thank Thee that Thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in Thy sight. And that is all we can say about it. It seemed good in God's sight to show us these things about Himself. What a wasted life. And the vast majority in the 90 percentile waste their lives and wake up shocked at the reality of the Lord Jehovah. God is truth in His perfect divinity. God is simply the true God. Because He is the God. He is God. All their gods are not God. They don't have a divine nature. They're not true. They're lies. They're lying. They're vanities. They're idols. They're sticks and stones. They're sun and moon. Things that have no intelligence nor ability to serve, to help or to show mercy, as Eric has explained to us this morning from Psalm 86. Look at Second Chronicles chapter 15 with me, and I hope you don't mind turning pages in the Scriptures. If it becomes too difficult, then we'll add slides with verses and preach the Word of God exactly the same way, but I want you to be able to see what you have in the Word of God. Oh, thank you, Lord, for saving us from wasting our lives believing a lie. The worst judgment possible, and God sends it upon most men, is to live their lives believing a lie. Most do not want to hear the words that God sends it, but God sends it. He sends them strong delusion that they would believe a lie. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9-12. through 12, Because they receive not the love of the truth. And if we'll be honest... Our first father, Adam, in the Garden of Eden made a choice right then that he didn't want the truth, he wanted the devil's lie. He was not deceived in the matter. He made a choice that I'd rather have a lie and Eve than truth without Eve. Second Chronicles 15, verse 3, Now for a long season Israel hath been without the true God. The true God. 
There are expressions like this in the Bible. The Thessalonians had turned from their idols to worship the living and true God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10. Truth is honesty, uprightness, righteousness, virtue, integrity, conforming, conforming with facts, agreement with reality, accuracy, correctness, verity. It's agreement with a standard or rule. It's accurate. It's correct. It's genuine. It's real. It's true. It has an actual existence. This is our God. He's true. There's every bit of integrity and verity and accuracy and correctness and rightness about him. He is called the very God. Very is an adjective meaning really or truly entitled to the name or designation. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23 that uses this combination, very God. 1 Thessalonians 5. These little expressions in the Bible are short, and we rush over them in our reading. But it says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly in the first clause of 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Very, really or truly entitled to the name or designation of God. This is truly God that we're dealing with in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. What does the word amen mean in your Bibles? Amen. Be it so really. Of concurrence in a formal statement or confession of faith, it is so in truth. It is retained in the Bible from the original Greek and Hebrew, meaning truly, verily. When we say amen, sometimes we'll say true. They both mean the same thing. The Bible uses the word amen. The Bible uses the word verily. The word verily occurs in the Bible 113 times. 50 of those are in John. Our brother John was the only one in the Bible to use the combined expression verily, verily. And he did it 25 times. So 50 of those statements of this is true, this is true, of a truth, of a truth, I say unto you. Because Jesus Christ is the truth in revealing the truth and showing the truth and preaching the truth. And is the manifestation of the truth of the true and living God. But uh, the, the word amen means truly, verily. And I'd like you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 with me and rejoice in a little expression about the word amen and what it means. When we say amen, we're saying that's the truth. Be it so truly. Verily, that's the truth. Indeed, that's true. That's what we mean when we say it. And and more of you should be saying it. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 tells us the Apostle Paul assumed in a New Testament church, that church members would be saying amen. Because he explained, why do we want people speaking in tongues in a New Testament church that's a foreign language? The church members won't know when to say amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. These people at Corinth were picking on Paul because he had told told them he was going to come and visit them, but he did not get to visit them in the time frame that he had first suggested to them as the time frame for his next visit. And so they picked on him as not being a man of his word. It's hard to imagine that, isn't it? The Apostle Paul, who gave his whole life to the service of the churches of Jesus Christ, and who endured persecutions and afflictions far beyond anything they could comprehend. Verse 17, when I therefore was thus minded, and that was to tell you that I was coming to see you, did I use lightness? 
Did I just lightly flip out with something about my visit? Or the things that I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh? That with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay. Yea, yea, and nay, nay means a man that changes his mind. An inconsistent man. A man who says yes one day and changes his mind and says no the next day. The Apostle Paul saying, do you think that after my flesh or because I'm just an unstable person, I said yes, I'm coming to see you, but then I changed my mind the next day and said no, I'm not coming to see you? Do you think I'm a yes and no man? Do you think I'm a yea, yea, and a nay, nay man? Listen to him. But as God is true. This is how we should live our lives. But as God is true, our word towards you was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me, and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. That's the kind of religion we have. Yea and amen. There's no nay. There's no changing of our minds. There's nothing. Well, this is the truth today, but tomorrow it changes like everything you hear in the news. You know, it was red meat that gave us cancer and then red meat became popular again. Then it's coffee. Then it's not coffee. And on and on they go about different things because they don't know they're all yay, yay and nay, nay on everything because truth is resident in God. And unless he reveals truth, we can't even figure it out about inventing a wheel. A wheel is truly more efficient than a travoy. But the American Indians never invented the wheel because God didn't show them the truth that a rolling object was easier to pull than a dragging object. Look at this glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. For all the promises of God in him are yea. Yes. Absolutely yes. And in Him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Oh, yes, that's the way we want to preach. Lord, help us to preach that way. We have no time. We have so much material. There's so much to say. Lord, forgive me. I don't know how to preach and accomplish anything in the time that we have. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 32. I don't want to be long today. I was long last Lord's day, and you were kind and gracious to me. I want you to be excited about the fact that you worship the true and living God and that He has given you His truth and that your lives should be based on truth in everything you say and do. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 4, He is the rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is He. Notice He is a God of truth. In Deuteronomy 32 and so many other places say similar statements. Look at Numbers chapter 23. Numbers 23. Amen. All the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yea and amen. Amen. To the glory of God. Oh, they picked on our brother Paul. Anybody get irritated by that? Would you like to pay a visit to Corinth? With a Molotov cocktail? Oh, forgive me for any of you that didn't understand my metaphor. (laughs) Numbers chapter 23. Our brother Paul had to endure persecution by the church that he founded with God's blessing. He was the wise master builder, and that's how they treated him. The pastor emeritus. The apostle Paul, and that's how they treated him. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man. You... 
You're not true. You're false. I'll admit that I'm false. We change. God doesn't. God is not a man that he should lie because he's the true God. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Have you ever committed to do something and then say, children, I just can't do it right now. Circumstances have changed and I just can't do it. Oh, you're pitiful. And so am I. So God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Amen and amen. He'll make it good. He will fulfill all of his works and ways and all of his words. Jesus Christ would say, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Because he is the true God. And the Lord Jesus Christ bore witness to the truth. That's Luke 21 and verse 33. Now God is true. We worship the true God. We worship the true God because we worship the only God. He only is the true God because there's only one God. When he looked for other gods, he found none. And when men look for their gods, they can find no other. There is no God but one. And the Lord Jehovah is his name. And his son is Jesus Christ our Lord, who is God in the flesh. Undivided and uncompromised. And that is what we believe. God's truthfulness in his existence, in his word, and in his dealings should be of great comfort to the saints. And I want to preach the attributes of God, not getting too theoretical or philosophical, but telling you about God in such a way that you can lay hold of Him and delight in Him more and love Him more and trust Him more. Every worshiper of every other God has been terribly deceived and their most adored and needed fact in their life turned out to be a lie. Jihad terrorists are going to wake one nanosecond after they light off a bomb strapped to their belly to meet Jehovah, and he's not going to have 72 perpetual virgins for them. And there's going to be no palm trees. They wired themselves with a bomb, they pull the cord, thinking they're about to see a palm tree and 72 virgins waiting for them. What idiots. An experienced wife's far better. Anyway, that's another subject for a couple's retreat. What idiocy. They're going to wake and meet the Lord Jehovah. American Indians are going to wake one nanosecond after death to meet the Lord Jehovah and discover there are no buffalo in hell. They think they're going to the happy hunting ground. What a way to live your life. Buddhists are going to wake one nanosecond after death to meet Jehovah without any gifts from their family. There's going to be no ancestors nor any descendants with any contribution toward their well-being in the eternal world. They're going to meet God and they're going to stand naked and alone before Him. And He's going to judge them according to their works. Hindus are going to wake one second after immolation on a funeral pyre to meet the Lord Jehovah Jehovah, without a filthy Ganges to deliver them. You know, the Hindus think that they're saved by bathing in the filthiest river on earth, the Ganges River. But they're going to meet the Lord Jehovah and there's going to be no Ganges there for them to jump into. They can burn themselves to death in their funeral pyre, but it's not going to help. You can walk with Jehovah now, every second of your life, and you can run to Him through the curtain of death. And He will be there for you because He is the true God. He is the true and the living God. And in Him all His promises in Christ are yea and amen. Do you want to know whether you truly know the Son of, whether you truly know the true God? Then look at John chapter 8 with me. John chapter 8. 
It's the truth of God that will make you free and set you free. These people are in bondage to lies and to lying vanities. The Lord Jesus Christ came and he's told Pilate, Pilate had a personal audience with the Lord Jesus Christ. I came to bear witness of the truth. What is truth? He had given up on the concept. There is truth. Jesus said in John 8, 32, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The truth can deliver you from all the bondage of men, all the superstition, and all the lies, and all the lying vanities. Turn to chapter 3 of the same book. The Gospel of John chapter 3 and verse 32. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ who got his revelation from heaven itself. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. Hardly anyone believed the Lord Jesus Christ. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. John 1.11 told us, He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. Do you believe in the true God of the Bible? Do you believe in the Lord Jehovah of the Bible, the only true God? I'm going to find out right now if you believe in the true God of the Bible. Have you set to, do you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is from God, is the Son of God, and was God's Son? Verse 33, he that hath received his testimony. Jesus said, I am the Son of God. Do you believe that about him? Do you change, does your life reflect that? Do you live a changed life that shows you believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God? Then you have set to your seal that God is true because the greatest declaration and revelation of truth God's given this world is Jesus of Nazareth is my Son. You can trust everything He's ever written you. Look at Second Peter chapter 1. I made reference to this in my opening remarks this morning which were taken from Job 36, 1 through 4. But look at Second Peter chapter 1 with me and realize that this true God has written truth to us in the Scriptures to which we ought to pay careful attention. Second Peter chapter 1. I thank God that in 1983 and 1984, before I was ordained, He spoke to me so powerfully from this text of Scripture that if I didn't truly believe this, I had no business in the ministry. Because the job description of a minister is preach the Word. And if you don't believe that Word is absolutely true and something of value for other people, you don't have anything to preach. I don't, I don't know how to give good illustrations or tell stories or tell jokes or anecdotes, and I wouldn't if I knew how. Right. Thank you, Lord. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. More sure than what? Why is the word also there? Also is only in a sentence if there are two things being compared. The two things being compared are Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration in verses 16 through 18 when he heard God speak from heaven as he looked on Jesus glorified talking with Moses and Elijah. He heard God's voice from heaven, and he says that in verses 16 through 19, and we were eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ's majesty, and there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. But he says in verse 19, we have also, in addition to that experience in my life and in the lives of James and John, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. 
Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. The word of God, because it goes on to say it's talking about the scriptures. Because it says in verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. This is the true God, and he's revealed truth to us in the Bible. Do you believe everything in the Bible? What is your favorite promise that's in the Bible? I will never leave thee nor forsake thee? That's an incredible statement by the infinite, independent, eternal, true God. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Do you believe that? It's true. Or do you like this one? In my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. Oh, you're kidding. The Lord Jesus Christ has left this earth to go prepare a place for us. That is true. It's in the word of truth. It's from the God of truth. Since our God is the true God, then everything about us and our dealings should be only truth. Our God has revealed himself in a true Bible. Then every word we affirm should be truth. Everything we say should be true. Men should be able to count upon our words because we're the sons of God. So we keep our words as much as we possibly can. We should confidently affirm every word that's in the Bible. That is why we make such a big deal about every single word that's in the word of God. Because God is true. Thy word is truth. And if we start questioning one word, who's going to keep us from questioning the second word? And if we question two, we'll question more. Because he's the God of truth and he's revealed truth and he is truth and he's shown us truth and we should honor truth. Look at Romans 12, 17 with me as we bring this attribute to a close. Could I preach for a month on the truth of God easily and I would enjoy every minute of it. But I want to preach some other things before I die than the attributes of God. So we move on. I'm sorry. Romans 12, 17 The second sentence in that verse, provide things honest in the sight of all men. This is one commandment of many. The lip of truth shall endure, but God shall punish all liars. Where are all liars? According to Revelation 21, verse 8, verse 27, in the lake of fire in hell. All liars shall have their part in the lake of fire because God is a God of truth and he will punish liars. Now every liar that Jesus Christ died for has his lies paid for. But brethren, let's be speakers of the truth. So we look like the sons of God, blameless and harmless and without rebuke. No one can rebuke us that we don't keep our word because we are the sons of the God who keeps every word that he has uttered. May the Lord be praised. He is a God of truth. Do you believe that? Yes. Okay. Do you love that? Yes. Do you know that one nanosecond, one nanosecond after death, you're going to wake up to have confirmed with brilliance everything you've read in the Bible. But in a magnitude that you couldn't imagine because you're here on earth. All, it's going to all be true. Did you, read the, did you read the email testimony that I sent you yesterday? And for those of you that didn't, I'm ashamed of you for your depriving yourself of something valuable. A young mother with six young children died of cancer her story has been told on internet blogs for the last couple of years. She died this past week, and her husband wrote an assessment of the family watching her die. And you need to read it. I had other people in the world write me and appreciate that email attached to the preparatory. And the church members here didn't read it? You're too busy? Really? 
Why don't you come to me? We'll sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil, and I'll show you that you waste about 150 of your 168 hours a week. You say, well, you're exaggerating. I only waste 140. Okay, I'll admit that. It was for your profit. I would never send you anything that wasn't for your profit. I don't spam anyone, especially my friends. And the reason I'm a little irritated about that right now is because it reflects so much on the true God and how a Christian can die, and it is so different than everyone else that dies when they wake up one nanosecond later and realize it's all been a lie. Turn to Romans chapter 16 since you're close at hand. I know that some of you are busy, but you're not so busy that you can't take a couple of minutes to read things that are good for your soul. You're busy with things that are not good for your soul, so why don't you read, spend some time with things that are good for your soul. I am busy too. I love all of you. Forgive me if you think otherwise. I care about your souls. And I want you to all die in peace with faith and hope and great confidence. And everything is designed toward that end. Romans 16 and verse 27, To God only wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. This is an expression that's found in other places in the Scripture, but He is the only wise God. By wisdom, what do we mean? By wisdom we mean His independent genius at knowing perfection. Independent. He is not influenced or helped by anyone else. Genius. At understanding, grasping, and knowing perfection. That is wisdom. It's a little stronger than how we define it for ourselves in the book of Proverbs, the power of right judgment. I mean, if you want to expand the power of right judgment to get up that high, you're welcome to. But it's independent genius at knowing perfection. It's far beyond mere omniscience. Omniscience is knowing all things. A foolish man can have knowledge. Being wise is different than just having knowledge. Knowledge would be the accumulated store of all facts. It's way beyond that. It's how do we sort the facts and make sense out of them? And how do we arrange a countless number of interrelated events in time to accomplish a glorious, single, solitary end? And that is the glory of God. His wisdom is incredible. It's just glorious to even meditate upon it and think about what does the wisdom of God mean. And so I'm trying to define it for you. It's his independent genius at knowing perfection. We mean by wisdom it is the right application and use of his understanding to accomplish his glory. His understanding of every secondary cause and every person that thinks they have liberty of choice, and they do have a certain measure of liberty of choice, arranging all of that for the accomplishment of the glory of God. It's incredible what God is able to do in his wisdom. By wisdom we mean choosing the perfect ends for all things and ordering all circumstances and means to accomplish those perfect ends. By wisdom we mean the coordination of all means and secondary causes while allowing them liberty. Now listen, when you play chess, I'm going to tell you something about when you play chess. We had that mentioned today. When you play chess, do your chess pieces have liberty of movement? I don't know. I don't think so. Have you ever looked at your chessboard and watched any of the pieces move by themselves? No. Oh, now how many pieces are on a chessboard? How many on your side? Sixteen? How many pieces is God dealing with? You say seven billion men. Oh, but you're forgetting a lot of other things. How about your puppies? And so forth. But you know, and, they, and they've all got liberty. But he accomplishes one end. And they all think they have liberty, and he violates the liberty of none. That's my brain. 
It's glorious to think about it. God's wisdom. His wisdom and understanding are infinite. Look at Psalm 147. He's the only wise God. Their God has no intelligence. Look at Psalm 147. Lord, help us. Help us to delight in Thee and to trust Thee and to know Thee. Help us to glory in Thee. Psalm 147 verse 5. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. Amen. Come back to chapter 40 in the book of Psalms. Psalm 40. Oh Lord, show us yourself. We believe what's written here in the word of truth. Psalm 40 verse 5. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. I can't count them. I can't reckon them up. I can't put them in order. I can't serve them back to thee. They're just unbelievable. Thy wonderful works which thou hast done in thy thoughts. That's a wise man. Thy thoughts toward us in the way that you have worked out the circumstances of our lives. He is full of wisdom. And his wisdom is infinite. His wisdom is in creation. Look at Psalm 104. The whole chapter serves this purpose. But look at the 24th verse with me. Psalm 104. And verse 24, of course, if you want to explore these subjects further, there are outlines available. Just write me and ask me. I'm very jealous of my outlines until I'm done because I don't like sending out drafts of anything. But I will send to you so that you can have other verses to look up since I'm racing through a tithe of what do we have. Psalm 104, 24. Oh Lord, how manifold are thy works. I should shout. Because there's an exclamation mark there. In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. When we look around, we see the wisdom of God in so many things that he has made. What do you think about a 24-hour day? How long do you have to work in order for you to appreciate a 24-hour day? What if it was 40 and you got to sleep the back eight? I like 24-hour days. How about the fact that the earth is on a 23 and a one-third degree axis? The axis of the earth is not standing upright. It's tilted 23rd and a third degrees in order to give you seasons. What do you think of Eve for Adam? Was it a good fit? Think about that any way you wish. God is God. And he's creator of anatomy and temperament and disposition Sunshine, when you step out on a beautiful sunny day and, it, and that radiant heat from 93 million miles away touches your skin an instant. Is that pretty nice? Amen. How about moonshine at night? I don't mean that kind of moonshine. I mean a moon shining. Some of you from Tennessee are going to get excited. I mean the moon shining on the ocean at night. The, the things the Lord has made. How about food and taste? Do you know you have sections on your tongue that are made to pick up different tastes? Salty? Sweet? Wow! His creation! Wisdom! You know, we could just have a hole, and we could push it down with a plunger. We could take a pill that has no taste. But God in His wisdom did so many wonderful things for us. Do you like the water cycle? How it cycles our water. And it's in a continual rotation and it's held up in clouds. Puffy white clouds hold millions, billions of tons of water. Right. 
can water the whole county so easily? How about the horse and the ostrich and all the things that we've considered before about his creation? Do you see his wisdom in it? Oh, glorious. His wisdom in providence. Look at Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs 8 and verse 12. Freon. Do you think Freon's pretty neat? Freon is a special gas that allows air conditioning, chilling, dehumidifying of air. Down here in the south, thank you, Lord, for inventing. No, he gave that invention to men. Verse 12 of Proverbs 8, this whole chapter is about wisdom. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. Because we're sisters in the same family. And find out knowledge of witty inventions. Witty inventions are from God. I made mention earlier of the American Indians not even being able to figure out a wheel. Every, you know, most everybody else in the world had figured out a wheel. The Aborigines in Australia, New Zealand hadn't figured it out either. And the Indians in the South African, Brazil, Amazon River jungle hadn't figured it out either. But how about Freon? You know, let's progress a little bit past the wheel. How about Freon? I'm just mentioning it as an, it's a witty invention. It's by God's wisdom. And it's by him putting just a little tad of wisdom in a man's mind that's able to figure out that Freon could do us a service. And figure out how to do that. God raises up the man. God gives him the mental aptitude. God brings him along at the right time when Freon is discovered. And so forth and so on. God does that in his wisdom for us to enjoy witty inventions which are found out by wisdom. The wheel is a matter of God's providence in such a thing. How about your spouse? Now forget God creating Eve for Adam. How about your spouse at the right time? That's God's providence and His wisdom for you. How about Dunkirk and the great victory there and so forth? How about His wisdom in the law? When you look at the law of God, look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. I'm sorry for speaking so fast, but I know that all of you can hear so fast. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 5. I want verse 6. Because verse 5 says, The statutes and judgments which God taught Israel by Moses. Verse 6, Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom. And your understanding in the sight of these nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely, this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Why would people say that about Israel? Because of the law that God gave them from Moses. How about monogamy? You know, God very carefully explained that monogamy is superior to to polygamy. And it's it's dealt with. How about the cities of refuge? For when you accidentally kill somebody by manslaughter. How about perjury in court? And what happens to somebody who lies in court? How about sanitation? Does the Bible take care of sanitation in the Bible? Were our ancestors in England just 150 years ago opening the window in the morning and pitching their their chamber pot out the window and so that it all ran in the street? Just 150 years ago? Our mother England? Yes. Yes. They didn't do that in Israel. In 1500 B.C., they had to carry a shovel at all time, and the Bible says, What cometh out from behind thee? Dig a hole and put it in and cover it up. And so we do that today with the silver lever, but they had it in 1500 B.C. I think that's wisdom, and it's in the law of God. How about quarantine for certain contagious diseases? How about running water? Did you know that real cleansing in the Bible is described as running water? Did you know that that was not adopted by doctors in New York City until the turn of the century, last century? 
They were wondering why so many babies were dying when women delivered at the hospital. That's because these doctors would go from a cadaver of a dead person to delivering a baby. Then a Jewish doctor, and he's well known. I can't remember his precise name right now, but anyway, I can get it for you if you want it. You can go Google search anything I say and prove me right or wrong. You know, he knew that in the Bible it said... The only way you can really get clean is under running water, not sticking your hands into a bucket where doctors have been sticking their hands all day long. It's in the Word of God. Centralized authority. I get sick and tired of finding a big big government growing bigger and bigger and bigger. If you think a division of powers is something wise, you're wrong. God never had such a system of government. I believe in centralized authority. I would much rather have a monarchy with a God-fearing man. Of course, there has to be an exception to that, right? His wisdom is in salvation. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 8. God always centralized authority because he's efficient and he's wise. Separation of powers and have everybody competing against everyone else. It may, it may slow things down. It may protect you from time to time, but it's incredibly inefficient. Right. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 8. That's like asking your kids to help you run the house. Mm-hmm. Ephesians 1 8. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. This verse is stuck right in the middle of that favorite passage of ours, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, that describes our salvation. And notice what it's referred to as in this 8th verse. Wherein, that is in the forgiveness of sins, the predestination to the adoption of sons, and so forth that has been described here, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Salvation shows the wisdom and prudence of God in his election of men before the world began in his redemption by paying the price of their ransom on the cross of Calvary, by their regeneration to change their nature, by converting them, by teaching them and educating them the truth so that they know how to live, and by our final glorification because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. Heaven cannot have your body. Your body stinks and heaven doesn't stink. That is why you take baths and showers. And heaven can't have your body. God's going to glorify your body and you'll never have to take a bath or wash that long hair again. That's what's coming for you. It's all in the Word of God. You want to talk about wisdom? How about a virgin birth? Right. How about the wisdom and the power of a virgin birth? How about as our brother wrote in a song that he, he wrote for our church about salvation, that the woman that God cursed... Was the actual and, and the conception of the woman that he cursed. Remember, God said, I'm going to greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. But it was the conception of Mary that resulted in our Savior. That's right. How, take that, devil. How's that for wisdom? Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lord. Amen. His wisdom in the gospel. You know, the gospel is so glorious, it's foolish to the wise, but it's wise to the foolish. Amen. Now, who could design a gospel that way? The gospel of the word of God presented to the wise, they count it foolishness. Presented to us fools of the world, in their opinions, we know it to be wisdom by God's design and ordination. It's the savour of God that always triumphs. How about the Ethiopian eunuch? Is God able to find a man who's alone in the middle of the desert? Is God able to send him the right man? Is God able to arrange a baptistry when needed? An oasis there in the desert. And what? The wisdom and power of God. Mm-hmm. Glorious. 
Our God is the only wise God and what wisdom he has and what wisdom he has shared with us. Do you trust creation? You know, I didn't go over creation to entertain you except to entertain you in delighting in God. Do you trust his creation, how he made you? Do you trust how he made you? Do you trust how he arranged the human body, seasons, rain, natural disasters? Do you trust all that? Do you trust his providence and the wisdom in his providence? All of his choices that profoundly affect your life. There are choices that other people have made that profoundly affect your life. And God made all those choices, even though others may have been involved with their own little liberty. Do you trust him in all of that? Do you trust all that God does that affects the world in his wisdom? And do you fully submit to it and appreciate it? How much do you trust the Bible? Do you trust it absolutely? Do you believe in this true God and this wise God who has written us a book that is true and a book that is full of wisdom? Do you fully trust it? Do you trust it about civil authority and your duty to honor and pray for our president, though you may not like him? Get over it. Who do you think you are? If you were ten times smarter than you are, you still wouldn't have enough judgment to make a judgment like that. Trust God. He's wise. Everything he does is wise. It's far better than your choice. Or you're the wise God and he's the fool. But I rather believe he's the wise God and okay. Do you trust it about marriage? The purpose of marriage, the submission of the wife in marriage, the husband not being bitter, the place of sex, love, affinity by marrying outside the Lord. Do you, do you believe all those things? Because that is the wisdom of God revealed to us in the pages of Scripture. Do you trust salvation? Do you trust how and whom God saved according to his own will? David in his deathbed said, Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure, for this is all my salvation, all my desire, though he make it not to grow. It was limited. David had a big family with lots of sons, and they were a mess. And they were not all included in God's plan for his family tree. God did not make it to grow, but it was all of David's confidence and assurance for the long run because it included the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you trust God's choice in all of these things? Look at Matthew chapter 11 and verse 19. Do you justify the wisdom of God? I'm going to find out in this attribute whether you do or not. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. The attribute of God being true. Do you know how you prove it? You believe that Jesus Christ is God's son. And you live like it. You set to your seal that God is true. Did you remember that from John 3.33? I don't want you leaving a sermon without remembering something. How can I show God and how can I seal my life that I believe God is true? Believe the greatest declaration of truth he ever made. Jesus of Nazareth is the only begotten Son of God. Okay? Now, he's the God of wisdom. He sent John the Baptist. No one be offended, please. He sent John the Baptist for rednecks. Okay? Please don't be offended. I shouldn't even try a metaphor. John the Baptist was wild, unruly. In, in matters of social decorum. He was out in the wilderness. He, he wore a leather girdle. And he ate grasshoppers and locusts and wild honey. He didn't even have pasteurized honey. I mean, he didn't even go to the grocery store to get his honey. It was wild honey. He was just a wild man. 
And so God sent that wild man to his church called Israel. And most of them rejected him. So he sent the Lord Jesus Christ, who ate bread, drank wine, and was very civilized and incredibly gracious. And when he spoke in public, even his enemies marveled at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. And they rejected him. Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. we got to get verse 18. we got to get 17. Let's get what it started at the beginning. 16. Whereunto shall I liken this generation? This is Jesus asking about the Jewish generation in which he was born and to which he taught. Whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is likened to children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and ye have not lamented. You're not responding to us. Now watch. For John came neither eating, that's eating bread, nor drinking, that's drinking wine. He drank water and ate locusts and wild honey. And they say, he hath a devil. This is the wisdom of God to this world. There's never been a man born of women greater than John the Baptist by the testimony of Jesus Christ. He sent John the Baptist and they said, he has a devil. The Son of Man came eating, that is eating bread, and drinking, that's drinking wine. If you don't believe me, go look at Luke chapter 7, verses 33 through 35. And they say of him, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. John the Baptist has a devil. The Lord Jesus Christ is a drunkard and a glutton. But wisdom is justified of her children. Are you a child of wisdom today? Are you a child of wisdom today? This is how you know. John the Baptist was the greatest ever born of women, and the, other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And both of their messages were absolutely true. I believe everything they said, I'm going to live my life by their testimony. No matter one looked and ate and, and acted very differently than the other, I believe them both because it was the wisdom of God being revealed to men. It right. is justified of her children. Because our God is wise, He's given us so much wisdom, we should live wisely in all of our... He's given you a new man that thinks differently than everybody else. And it thinks differently than your old man. He's given you His Holy Spirit. He's given you the inspired Scriptures. We have the means to be wiser than our peers, as the book of Proverbs encourages us. And I write you every day. You know, many are reading those every day. Do you read them every day? It's going to take you less time to read it than it takes me to recompose it. Why why am I sending them to you or to anyone else? Because it's the wisdom of God revealed to us. It's incredible the amount of wisdom God's revealed to us. Uh, In all aspects of life are in the book of Proverbs. We have wisdom to be wiser than our superiors, as the book of Psalms teaches us. If we meditate on God's precepts and, and keep meditating on those precepts, we can be wiser than our enemies, wiser than our teachers, and wiser than the ancients. Thank you, Lord. For such wisdom, we, above all people, should be wise. Wisdom teaches us that the heart is more important than ritual. Mercy is more important than sacrifice. Righteousness is more important than appearance. Love is more important than riches or a fancy meal. You should have the answers to almost every question of life with sober and sound judgment because the Lord's given it to you. The God of wisdom has given it to you with the Holy Spirit and with the wisdom of His Word. Our God is the true God. 
Our God is the only wise God. He has shown us truth. He has shown us wisdom. We are, we are blessed beyond description, beyond comparison. It's incredible. And there is nothing in us. There is nothing in us. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth that God has shown us. Amen. According to Genesis 32.10, where Jacob said those words in his prayer to God. I, hope, I want you to love this God. And if you will love him and love his truthfulness and, be, and live true and believe the record that he's given of his son, Jesus Christ, and if you'll appreciate his wisdom and love his wisdom, see it in creation, see it in salvation, and if you will appreciate the book of wisdom that we have and that you will live a wise life, you can come to that hour of death and one nanosecond later, we'll be in the presence of the Lord Jehovah and we will not be surprised by anything except the magnitude of the grandeur and glory that we cannot properly express here. Right. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen. Amen.